As you will know, sharpfootballanalysis.com is the best place for fantasy analysis and betting information. NFL playoff and college football bowl packages are now available. Visit sharpfootballanalysis.com to take advantage of Warren's lifetime NFL playoff record, which hits a 64% clip. And we're throwing a special benefit this year as all fantasy content will be free for subscribers throughout the playoffs. Get it now at sharpfootballanalysis.com. Hello, welcome to the Sharp Angles Podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here by Rich Rebar, TA, the team, Sharp Football Analysis. Guys, here we go. Week 16. We're almost there. Uh, the holidays just around the corner, like actually at here, we're on the corner uh, as we're recording. So uh, how are you guys doing today? Happy holidays, guys. I mean, I hope everyone's having a nice, safe, you know, whatever you're celebrating these times, uh, this time of year. You know, TA is in the same area. I mean, it just like rained all night. Uh, you know, I don't mind the the snow and I hope we do get a little snow for Christmas. I always like to have a little bit uh, for Christmas time. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it snuck up, snuck up on us that uh, we're already at Christmas in week, week 16. And so, you know, it's kind of crazy for us, uh, for me as a Browns fan sitting here, like trying to crunch all the numbers and different scenarios of how they get in, how they can win the division now that Pittsburgh is uh, collapsing. So it's kind of a weird time of year because <laughs> we're not used to it as a Browns fan. So it's, it's kind of added to the, the Christmas joy here. But uh, this is an interesting time of year. I mean, one thing I, you know, I posted a, um, an article yesterday and I, I mentioned it that, you know, be careful, uh, be, be wary of the teams that kind of need to win to, to keep playoff hopes alive. You know, the, the bookmakers are going to totally inflate the lines on you um, against teams that, uh, that have nothing to play for. So be careful when, you know, you're looking to bet those kind of must win teams. Um, you know, look back to since 1990, when you look at teams that are out of playoff contention, going up against teams that are in kind of must-win situations that have to win to keep their playoff hopes alive. They're actually at a 61% clip against the spread. So, you know, we might be looking at some some bad teams in the next two weeks to bet on. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, that's always an interesting uh, angle at this time of year is uh, kind of the teams that are playing for, for nothing versus the teams that are playing for their lives. So uh, it's kind of a fun time of year. Yeah, absolutely. And we got, you know, full slate here this week. I've uh, got a Christmas day game, uh, three Saturday games, and then a, a full slate of Sunday. So we got all the football uh, happening here. So uh, as we get into this, let's just dive right in. Try to have a, a quick show, I think, probably the best for uh, everybody involved here. So uh, wh- what are you guys really uh, looking at as, as we get into this full slate this week? We're some chatty Cathy's. We can make it happen. Uh, I mean, listen, I mean, the TA kind of almost teed up the segue for you, Dan. Uh, if you want to start with Pittsburgh and just kind of talk about what's going on there uh, as or what's not going on there uh, over the past month. Uh, you know, I kind of thought like, hey, you know, last week was probably a good spot. Like a lot of people it was a get right game for them. You know, they had the the weird schedule kind of uh, allotment of the past three weeks, the previous three weeks. It seemed like Tomlin was kind of over their games getting moved around. Uh, they were kind of perturbed by the situation. They they don't show up in Buffalo. Uh, it's like, all right, well, we've got the Bengals, Ryan Finley starting, this guy that only takes sacks, that <laughs> can't complete passes. And it's all set up for them, right? And they were just blanketed. They were boxed the entire Monday night game. It was their offense. I mean, they, they, the Bengals smothered them in the in the pass rush in the pass rush game and in downfield. Like their receivers weren't getting open, and they were putting pressure on Big Ben repeatedly. And now we have a four game sample versus good defenses and bad defenses of them just being totally stagnant and not being able to move the ball downfield in any capacity. And Dan, you wrote an article about Ben's deep ball uh, during this run, uh, but this team just cannot move the football. They've scored on just 22.9% of their possessions uh, the pre- previous four weeks. Uh, uh, and they, they were scoring on 47% of their possessions prior. So it has really gone South. Uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers and you compare that with some of the defensive losses that they've had uh, this team is is kind of on tilt you know it's funny being an 11-0 team and they're very on tilt heading into these last two weeks playing the Indianapolis Colts this week and then the Browns on the road uh, in a game that could be for the division next week. Yeah, I mean, it's it really still always was the story of the offense, even when they were 11 and 0. That's why no one really bought into the Steelers being the best team in the league, just because 
that offense just it, it wasn't good uh especially when you saw what ben roethlisberger was doing with the deep ball i mean it was like a couple of weeks ago at, at this point it was before they really started being bad uh when i wrote about ben roethlisberger's deep ball and so much of that was it's all go routes right it's everything's going straight down the sideline and Roethlisberger just doesn't have uh, the arm and not necessarily the arm strength but just you know you don't want to use the word arm talent but he just he just doesn't have it um the, he he can't place that ball down the sideline where it needs to be when the margin of error is so small, especially when you have a lot of these receivers that aren't separating that well deep. So it's such a small a point of target that Roethlisberger has to hit and he can't do it. They're not using the middle of the field at all, especially, you know, over 10 yards past the line of scrimmage. So that that's a place where some of the most valuable completions in football come. And Pittsburgh just doesn't have that in their arsenal. And defenses are really starting to figure that out. So they're playing everything short. All of their second level defenders are just, you know, sitting a couple yards off the line of scrimmage. And they're waiting for those slants. They're waiting for the, the quick curls and stuff. And, and they're just waiting for that so they can jump on it. That's what uh, Teron Johnson did with that pick six. Um, in the in the Buffalo game, he was just kind of sitting back in zone. I uh, drove on, on a pass that was short and ran it back for a pick six. You watched the Cincinnati did that uh, pretty much the entire game. No one is scared of getting beat deep now, so they're putting all of their resources to stopping those short passes and when they're doing that the Steelers receivers can't get the yards after the catch that they were really working earlier in the season because that's all the offense was made out of it was short passes and yards after the catch but when these defenses now are sitting on those short passes the yards after the catch aren't there because there's just you know two or three guys in the way now and the Steelers they don't have a a run game that they can work on the the run blocking just hasn't been good uh so when everyone knows what's coming and the Steelers don't have a counterpunch they just they're not able to move the ball and and it's just as defenses have figured out how to get through that it's just it's something that is completely just uh, compounded and the Steelers just don't have any other way to move the ball and it's absolutely a problem right now yeah and we you know we I feel like we've been talking about this for like what two months now <laughs> this is their style of offense and can it hold up um and i don't think it's it's coincidence that you know uh, his deep ball's gotten even worse and he's just not even he's not even close when when we're getting into colder weather um you know more wind it's just obviously a lot harder to do that um in those situations so it's just a horrible mix and plus his receivers have been dropping balls especially deontay johnson um in general has been dropping a lot of passes even when they are short so it's like what do you do next and the run game is non-existent they have no juice even Benny Snell who might you know get a couple yards here and there tough yards break some tackles he has zero juice zero you know capability of taking taking the uh, a run deep but you know the Steelers team also on on defense you know they're they're still top five when you look at EPA um, in the last five games in the NFL, but they've played some, they played Ryan Finley and, you know, Alex Smith and, you know, they're not, not facing the toughest offenses in the world here. So um, no Bud Dupree and, you know, Spillane's out in, in middle linebacker. So, you know, they're missing some pieces, you know, but it's funny uh, that Cincinnati game, I should have seen coming. I, I blame myself. How many times have I talked about the, the Mike Tomlin on the road oh, yeah. against sub 500 team? Um, you know, I, I had the Jags a couple of weeks ago against them and that was, that was a, a total a bomb by me, but you know, this continues. I mean, the Steelers, Mike Tomlin against sub 500 teams on the road are now 16 and 30 against the spread. I mean, it's 34%. Um, when in terms of double digit favorite on the road, they're two and 11 now against the spread and they're only eight and five straight up. I mean, that doesn't that doesn't sound that bad, but that's only the sixty six percent win percentage when essentially your yeah. probability is like ninety percent in these games. Okay, so like he not only is he not covering, they lose these games at a high rate. And normally you you could chalk it up to letdown games or things like that, um, but this is I mean they should have been you know riled up for this game and and you know um, been up. So they had total total motivation and they still lost outright. It's just it's really ugly. You know, now they play this this Colts team. So I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts. I mean, you know, I've been a Colts backer since the beginning. Uh, you know, in our draft, I picked them what well, picked them fourth overall. You know, we knew they had an easy schedule, and they've kind of you know boat raced a lot of the bad teams on their schedule. Um, you know, when they've had to face you know a team like Baltimore, a tough tough team. Um, you know, they, they look pretty poor, and they lost by two touchdowns. And so I'm curious against a physical team like the Steelers. I mean, that line before the Cincinnati game 
was Pittsburgh minus three. And now it actually reopened Indy yeah. minus three. And now it's down to one and a half. Um, I mean, I think, I hate to say it, but I think there's value on the Steelers in Pittsburgh here. You got a dome team. It's going to be, you know, cold, ugly weather. Um, and, you know, Philip Rivers doesn't, you know, can't move out of his spot. So if you can actually get some pressure on him, you know, what's he, you know, is he being able to make plays? I, I think Steelers are probably the right side here. I haven't bet them um, just because they're, they're so bad on offense. And it's against been so pitch. tough, yeah. Yeah, so it's hard to, <laughs> hard to really see it. Um, but it's going to be a grind out game. It's just, I think it's going to come down to the wire. Uh, but it's just, it's just amazing how the perception has changed on the Steelers team to flip essentially four and a half, five points for because of one game. It says a lot. Um, so uh, I don't know if it's an overreaction or if, if this is really what the right number should be. And this is really who the Steelers are, but we've got, a, yeah, we've got a multi-game sample of them being like this. So um, I want to see if, if they can pull themselves out of this and, uh, and, and get a win against the Colts. I mean, the Browns need the, the Steelers. It's interesting. The Browns are in a conundrum. I mean, depending on what happens with Miami Saturday night, you know, assuming they win, <clears throat> the Browns need the Colts to lose and they will clinch a playoff spot with a win over the Jets. But if the Steelers lose, um, you know, the Browns won't be able to clinch a playoff spot yet, but they would set up a week 17 showdown yeah. <laughs> at home against the Steelers for the division. And, but it might actually cost them a chance to make the playoffs if they lose. So it's kind of a weird situation uh, here in Cleveland as a fan, you know, you want to get, you want to win that division. You want to beat the hated Steelers, but you also just want to guarantee yourselves a playoff spot. So that's going to be probably the spotlight game, I think outside of obviously the Browns Jets for, for Browns fans, but um, curious guy, hear your guys' thoughts. You know, what do you think is going to happen against the Colts here on Sunday? Yeah, I'm I'm looking at maybe a, as a potential under here, even at 44 and a half. Uh, unders have kind of roared back a little bit over the back half of the season. We knew they kind of would, uh, especially when the weather drops. And then you know they had to keep keep these totals fairly high. But you kind of hit on it with with the Colts and their the way their schedule has played out this year. And now Phil's going to get rid of the ball, even if you're blitzing as much as the Steelers do. He's going to get rid of the football. But you look at this stretch that the Colts have played, and the only game where they completely kind of laid an egg was the Ravens game. And the Ravens were able just to move Phil off. But he was uncomfortable the entire game. They only scored 10 points. Uh, They just weren't able to get anything really consistently going through the passing game because Phillip Rivers was uncomfortable the whole game. I mean, look at since their bye week, the outside games, Detroit, Tennessee twice, Green Bay, Houston, the Raiders, uh, Houston twice. Those are all teams that just – they just cannot get after any after the quarterback at all. And it's not even that Phil was completely under pressure in the Ravens game. They were just able to make him uncomfortable. And this is the pre-COVID Ravens defense. Uh, so uh, I think the Steelers, even with their, their personnel losses, are going to at least be able to do that. They still at least have done that over the stretch. Now, they still do give up big plays, which is the one out. But the Colts don't make a ton of big plays in the passing game either. So it's kind of a catch-22 there. We, I don't think they'll be able to really run the ball like they have. This Jonathan Taylor resurgence, I think, is going to probably – be put to the test uh extremely extremely tough here um so with the way the Steelers have been scoring I think they're tough to back you know it's basically a pick them uh if you're going to take it you're basically playing them to win the game uh which there probably is some value there but they've just been such a tough support this past month against teams that they should be beating that I think it's hard to bet them uh the under might be the optimal play here you might actually be able to get I mean what about a Steelers we can get them to seven and a half on a tease with under oh yeah yeah, yeah. and a half that's actually not bad. I, now that you brought that up, I mean, if you can get under 50 and a half in a tease with the, uh, I like that. That's not a bad tease right there, but yeah, I, I don't think either team's going to get blown out here, but um, mm-hmm. like I said, I, I think that under is interesting. And yeah, I mean, the, the Colts don't make a lot of big plays. They don't have that capability. It's a lot of, you know, Naheem Hines and crossing routes to Pittman and, you know, and so that kind of plays in the Steelers hands um and you know rivers in outdoor weather when it's cold like is he gonna be he's not gonna be throwing the ball all over the place so yeah this this is really conducive to a grinded out low scoring kind of 17 16 type game so uh, yeah, I mean, when they played the ravens it was what 24 10 yeah, indoors right uh yeah. exactly. so i mean it, i see something like that like something similar probably more than the 34 points but probably not pushing 50 right right Interesting. Well, I, I'm, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. Like, I'm glad there's there's stakes on the line here, <laughs> and we got two guys drafted in the same draft with Roethlisberger and Rivers. So, um, you know, I've been always been a Rivers guy. So it'll be, uh, it'll be really interesting to see what happens uh, on on Sunday here um, with the AFC in general, but then with this game. 
Yeah, absolutely. I could just see Philip Rivers throwing open corner routes until he's like 90 years old. It's just like, it's the one thing he's not going to lose. Of like, of all the things, it it does, but like it always gets there and accurately. Uh, Of all the things like Rivers and Roethlisberger have lost in in mobility or, or whatever, it that the the Philip Rivers like corner route is just like he's hit it a couple of times this year and it's just been like just insane that it's just it gets there every time the ugliest throwing motion uh I possibly ever seen for for a quarter a highly successful quarterback I need uh after Philip Rivers retires I need him and like Hunter Pence to just have like a video podcast explaining how the two of them learned to throw uh the way they did and uh become professional athletes uh at <laughs> at those positions uh, it's just uh, amazing and I think we look at the Colts here I think they might have a defense that can is like conducive to sitting and and jumping those uh, Pittsburgh short routes because they're they're going to be sitting in zone. That's pretty much what they do, and that's how this all this defense was really good in the beginning of the year. Um, they were you know sitting on some uh, short passes and getting those interceptions, and that's kind of how they they became you know that number one overall uh, defense in DVOA through like the first five weeks of the season before they you know came off a little bit and then kind of figured out their their coverage uh in that place so it's definitely going to be uh interesting to watch what's uh what what else are we going to be looking at uh in this slate of games here let's let's talk about the saturday games real quick i mean we can, i don't know if anybody has any strong feelings with any of those three uh, i think there's you know three solid games three you know playoff um you know a couple a couple of playoff teams there uh, and one in arizona that you know is trying to survive so I mean, I don't know if you guys see anything with those. Uh, well, not with three games, sorry, with the uh, the Minnesota game on Christmas and then the three games on Saturday. I mean, I think, you know, starting with the Minnesota-New Orleans game, you know, the Vikings have nothing to play for anymore, I believe, right? So, you know, are they going to be motivated to play? Um, typically, you know, if you're going to play on Christmas, I think you will. You got the spotlight game. Uh, going up against the Saints team, which, you know, we talked about before the show, I and mean, Alvin Kamara was barely even used. Um, and none of their receivers could get any separation against, you know, this chief's defense. Um, you know, the Vikings don't really um, pose a huge threat on, on um, pass defense 24th in the, in the NFL uh, in uh, success rate allowed in the passing game. Um, you know, what is, what do, what do we see with the saints team here? Um, you know, breeze was extremely rust. Was he rusty or was he just, is he just not good anymore? <laughs> um, you know, he couldn't even hit those intermediate, you know, short intermediate passes as much anymore. Well, it was like early in the year. I mean, it's it, we we you removed um, Michael Thomas again, right. and then the same stuff happened those first what four or five weeks with Breeze. It kind of looked like that. It was the same. It was the same offense, right? Yeah. Yeah, but it was it was even worse though because uh, in this game, I mean. He only completed 44% yeah, yeah, yeah. of his passes. Like that, that's not a Drew Brees thing. Uh, per next gen stats, negative uh, 16.3% completion percentage over ex- expectation. And that's, that's what Drew Brees does. He is completion percentage over expectation. Uh, the past two years, he's been, you know, number one in that. So that's what he does. Even when those are their short passes, he's hitting them at such a high rate, 75, 80% that it allows the offense to move. And he just, he couldn't do that. He couldn't complete passes. He threw into tight coverage, which per next gen stats is, uh, you know, a yard or fewer of separation. Uh, he threw into a tight coverage 33% of the time. So on a third of his passes, and that's that's not something the Saints do either. They're usually uh, even if they don't have guys who can get open. Like Michael Thomas isn't the greatest you know person at you know creating like deep separation, but they can create throwing lanes in the way they use their routes and their scheme. They didn't have that in this game, so Drew Brees was just throwing it into short covered receivers, and that's like that's the Giants' offense. That that's not what the Saints do. So I think we do have to see if that's something that played a little bit into Brees being hesitant trying to get the ball out maybe too quickly uh, because he didn't want to get hit and he's coming off of 11 broken ribs and a punctured lung uh, so I think there's something I think we we need to see a little bit I mean obviously you wouldn't want to have if you're the Saints you wouldn't want to have Drew Brees get like his his feet back uh, working his way back into game shape against the Chiefs. You probably would have rather these two games be split uh, that he could have done this against the Vikings first before playing the Chiefs. But I think we do have to monitor what Drew Brees looks like against the Vikings because they haven't re- really been able to get a pass rush uh, no. this year. 
No, so I, I, th- I think he'll be a little more comfortable in the pocket. So we'll have to see how they're able to now scheme those receivers open, whether he's a little more comfortable, can hit those shorter passes uh, that can gain yards. Because I think that's I think more importantly, I mean, we'll talk about this game for you know the betting and stuff, but for the Saints, how far they can go is how healthy and comfortable Drew Brees is going to be for the rest of the season. So I think how he progresses from Kansas City to Minnesota uh, is going to be a huge thing to see whether the Saints are, are going to be a contender or if they're just going to be a, a team that other NFC teams just really shouldn't be scared of. Yeah, and just from a betting perspective, just I, I haven't uh, touched this game yet, but um, you know the, the total looks pretty interesting, at least maybe the first half on, on an under basis, only because you've got two very slow-paced teams. Minnesota's 29th, uh, New Orleans 27th in neutral game pace. You've got, um, you know, the Vikings are, they don't protect Kirk Cousins, 30th in um, in, in protection is or pressure rate versus uh, the number three ranked pressure rate defense in the saints. They're number two in run defense DVOA. So, you know, where, where's Minnesota really going to, going to look here. And I know we know they force feed Dalvin cook the ball, no matter what, it doesn't matter what the matchup is. So they're going to run into, into heavy boxes. They're going to run, you know, no matter what. Um, so I think I could, I could see a scenario where early on they just kind of force that and, and get this game kind of uh, at a slow pace. And I think the Saints are going to start running the ball a little bit more. And, and I, I, I do think they're going to have an emphasis on short passes to Kamara after not doing it much last week. Um, so, you know, and, and Drew Brees will have a clean pocket. So I, I think this is conducive to kind of short passing, a lot of running early, um, and then maybe it opens up in the second half. But, um, you know, uh, from an under perspective, you know, getting that in the first half, I think is interesting. I mean, neither team allows explosive runs. Um, you know, we know that Dalvin Cook lives off of explosive runs. The Saints are number two in, the, in allowing the, the lowest amount, the lowest percentage. The Saints are, are actually going up against the Vikings are number six in allowing, in allowing the, the lowest amount of explosive runs. So, you know, from that perspective, you know, you're not going to get a lot of huge plays in the ground game, which will help. So I think, um, you know, the, the number is interesting. Normally you would take the Vikings here because seven and a half with a Zimmer team, you know, and they're still very talented. But again, I, the, the motivation issue is something that you just don't know of um, when you the first game off of um, essentially getting eliminated from playoffs is always the, the toughest from a motivation standpoint. The fact that it's on Christmas Day maybe bounces that back up. So you might have full motivation, but that's always a question. Um, but otherwise, um, you know, I think the you know, the, the, the total could be an interesting play here from the under. Well, you have this similar matchup that just happened two weeks ago. Minnesota went into Tampa Bay. That had a 52-point total, uh, and they scored 40 points, <laughs> uh, both teams. So Tampa Bay and New Orleans, they play very, you know, they're, they're not, for a scheme stance, they're not uh, overlap, but, you know, you've got two teams that rush the pass. They're playing a lot of man-to-man defense, uh, and they can stop the run both teams and you know Dalvin they still established Dalvin Cook he had his 100 yards in that game but they were only scored 14 points the, the Vikings and uh Kirk Cousins was under pressure a lot in that game we got a very similar layout um the Viking or the Saints have played eight games now without Michael Thomas and they've won one of those games uh by more than six points so you would say yeah look at that but I think the point total is here just I think it's too it's too high it's at what 49 now and I said I just look at two weeks ago it was a very similar spot on the road Tampa Bay 52 or it's at 51 right now still so I mean yeah I was even I was even I even uh, shorted it uh I feel like that is is by far like the most intriguing play of it all because then you don't have to worry about the you know the, the the back door if you or you know having to rely on you know the Saints to, to catch up like they had against the Bucks, you know, two weeks ago. Right. Uh, this, this team just could not stop the Bears last week at all. Like, they had no shot of getting the Bears to punt, like, almost, like really at all in that game. Uh, they miss Eric Hendricks a lot. <laughs> I think he's, he's, he's doubtful again. Uh, and their backup, Todd Davis, got hurt. So that middle linebacker position is a big deal for them um, in terms of covering yeah, running like backs that. and stopping the run. So, you know, take it, I think that's another reason why I think Kamara – um, will be used more, but um, I mean, it's, it's a good game, I think to have on uh, Christmas, but um, so otherwise I think on those Saturday games, anything jumps out. I mean, I, you know, I, just yeah, saw- I think, I think we yeah have to jump in there. Uh, according to Ian Rappaport, interim coach Daryl Bevel deemed yep. a high risk close contact of someone who tested positive for COVID and won't coach this Saturday against the Bucks. He's the first head coach to miss due to COVID. Uh, Matthew Stafford, player coach. Let's do it. That's where that's where we're going, right? Let's all call plays. The Twitter calls plays for the, oh, the Lions. Let's it's do it. crazy. 
And they fired their, their special teams coach, uh, Braden Coombs, who was, uh, who was actually the son of uh, – and the only reason why I know his name is the son of um, Kerry Coombs, the defensive coordinator for Ohio State, and a longtime secondary coach, uh, because he called a fake punt without the, um, uh, essentially permission from the head coach. So it's just a complete disaster. Um, and, you know, what's interesting with this is I think Stafford's played pretty well in the last couple of games since Bevel's been there. I mean, they, they put up big points against – against Green Bay and Tennessee and, um, you know, and against Chicago. I think he's played pretty well. So I would look at this over if he's going to play. The Lions' pass defense we know is bad, but, like, I posted this. In the last seven weeks, they ranked dead last in EPA per dropback, you know, when you eliminate garbage time. Um, the gap between them and the 31st-ranked team, which is Carolina, is the same as the gap between 31st and 21st. Like, it's – Absolutely. They're beyond atrocious um, defending the pass. They get zero pressure on the quarterback. And we know that's, you know, Tom Brady, when he's comfortable, is going to totally pick you apart. Um, so I can see, I mean, they're 30th in pressure rate. So I can see Tampa scoring kind of at will here. And without, you know, Ronald Jones, maybe they, you know, just decide to, to open it up in the passing game. And I think the Lions will be able to score. I mean, Tampa's pass defense, we saw, you know, early on last week against Atlanta, um, they're not nearly as as stout as they have been, uh, or at least as they were you know, in the beginning of the season. So I think that you know the Lions, if Stafford plays, is going to be able to make make some plays. Um, if you look at the last seven weeks uh, of the season, Tampa's thirtieth in drop back EPA per play. So they're giving up a lot of big plays. Um, you can score on them. So that I would look at, you know, potentially the over here um, from a, from a, you know, betting perspective, but um, you know, should be a lot of, a lot, a lot of throwing here, I think between these two teams. Yeah. You would think Tampa's just like, Tampa's just the worst to figure out what they're doing. They're 32nd in variance per football outsider. So just week to week, you don't know what Tampa Bay you're going to get. Even, half to half. Yeah, I, it's, I wrote that in uh, in first and ten this week. They got all their all like seasons worth of variance out in the Atlanta game. The, the first half they looked absolutely terrible. They couldn't complete a pass. Uh, they couldn't cover Calvin Ridley at all. And then all of a sudden in the second half they're playing more aggressive coverage. They're pressing a little more. Calvin Ridley did not have uh, nearly as good of a second half as he did in oh the first man half. he had that they, he had that touchdown that Anthony oh, broke up oh well I wanted I had a lot of coverage <laughs> too so I was like it was such a great play though I was like damn it <laughs> yeah so they, they they have that in them it just doesn't happen all the time they were more aggressive uh rushing the passer they got to Matt Ryan all three of their sacks were in the fourth quarter two of them were on third down so they were able to scheme that up and then in the second half on offense, uh, there was definitely a, a, a pressure to throw the ball downfield a little more. And that's where they really started to get going. I don't think, I'm not sure if Brady even had a deep pass um, in, the, in the first half, uh, but all of his deep completions came in the second half. And of course, there was the, you know, the, the 46 yard or two. Uh, um, Antonio Brown, and then he had a couple of deep passes to Mike Evans. Uh, Mike Evans down at the one forever. Um, that's just that's where Mike Evans lives. Uh, deep passes that get caught at the one yard line. Um, so, and at least those are coming back in the offense. You didn't have Mike Evans getting tackled at the one uh, earlier in the season. Uh, you did in his second half here. So, uh, you just don't know. They they have the ability to be one of the best teams in the league. We've seen that. It stretches. We've talked about it uh, at some points. Uh, but then they just have these halves where, like, they can't put away the Giants. Uh, they give up, like, 9,000 yards to Atlanta in the first half. Just You have no idea of what they're doing. And with Detroit, you know, who knows who's going to be coaching and calling plays right now. Like, we don't know as we're recording this because we just found out Bevel uh, will be out and won't be doing that. But uh, if they just decide, you know, to go uh, all water boy and, you know, it's not the last game of the year, but they have nothing to play for. Last game of the year, no holding back anything now. Uh, they just start throwing all over the place. Like, who knows what this game could be. I, I'd, I, I wouldn't touch this game at all if I were uh, looking at it because you just you have absolutely no idea what either of these teams are going to do. Well, I will say, you know, I think the fact that they've come out in the first halves and struggled, I mean, that's a lot of coaching, in my opinion, like, and I, I listen to Mike Lombardi. I don't, I don't always listen to what he has to say. I mean, he's, he's got his opinions, but, um, um, but he did make an interesting point that like, 
they really changed their protection in the second half. And he thinks that's a Brady thing that in the first half they were getting, they were just getting totally blitzed and they had, you know, people were in the wrong spots. And remember, you know, Fournette's playing over Ronald Jones. So who knows if that mattered, but you know, um, but the you know, second half, he essentially takes over the protection and, and makes the adjustment. So I don't know who knows how legit that is, but I thought that was an interesting point, at least that, um, you know, the protection scheme changed in the second half and allowed uh, Brady to have more time in the pocket. And that's it allowed him to, to make some of those deep throws. But I mean, you don't have, I mean, the, the Falcons, I posted this, the Falcons pass defense and just defense in general, the last like five, six weeks, or essentially since Raheem Morris has taken over, has been very underrated. I mean, it's a top 10 defense. Um, and so, you know, I, I think they're a little bit better than what you might think uh, in general. Um, and they played like that in the first half. You're not going to get that with the Lions. I mean, there is no doubt in my mind that Tom Brady is going to completely pick <laughs> apart this Lions defense. Like he's done with Carolina, for example, very similar makeup. Carolina is actually better, um, but he's torched them twice. I can see this kind of very similar case here on Saturday. Um, and it's just a matter of can, can uh, Detroit keep up a little bit? Like I said, I think if, if the Tampa defense uh, that showed up in the first half last week shows up again, you know, the Stafford's going to be able to move the ball and they're going to put up some points. Um, and maybe whoever is the, the interim coach is going to be kind of YOLO and just decide to, to do wacky things. And you might get some fake punts and um, reverses and whatnot. So it could end up being kind of a strange, uh, strange game. But, um, you know, I just I don't see a scenario where Tampa doesn't win this pretty comfortably. Yeah, this one, that one, that one to me is just like kind of like a, I'm just going to enjoy it from a fantasy perspective. Uh, you know, it's just kind of a you yeah. know laying a lot of points with the Bucks is always is uncomfortable, and the Lions have like you know they didn't get there last week, but you know I bet against them two weeks ago with you with the Packers, and they backdoor because they were willing to you know throw the ball downfield. And you just never know. Uh, so I mean, I'm just going to enjoy that one. I think the night game though, I feel pretty good about. I mean, I'm just going to keep riding these Dolphins. Uh, they've been such a great bet all year. The Raiders are just kind of really going the opposite direction. The fact that the Raiders were favored last week, I thought was kind of weird. And everyone was on that. Everyone was on the Chargers and, and you know, that covered. And they, they probably could have won and they could have won it in overtime uh, and in regulation if, you know, Mario doesn't throw that interception. Uh, but they also could have lost it a couple times too on a couple field goal attempts. But I feel like two is just like one of those quarterbacks that's going to be in that like Alex Smith, Teddy Bridgewater range of like, if you're laying short points or he's an underdog, like you're going to feel really good about it. Like he's just not a dude that's going to lose you points on a given week. This Miami team is going to come out and just, they are, they actually are for us being kind of a non-explosive offense. They have the, the league's fewest touchdowns, uh, you know, from outside the red zone, their, their last in the NFL and plays per game of 20 plus yards. But they do things that we like. They throw a lot on first down. They, you know, they, they, they understand mismatches, and they, they've been able to kind of win these games in that way. Now they have, you know, we kind of win away in the middle of the season. Like they can't keep scoring these defensive touchdowns, these special teams touchdowns. Um, but they can, they can obviously line up against this Raiders team uh, that has been kind of just bludgeoned by injuries and COVID, you know, the past several weeks and just has – their defense is so bad um, – that I think that you'll get a nice game control game from the Dolphins on Saturday night, and they're going to get Parker and Gusecki back. Uh, It's just a spot that I like, and I feel good about laying short points with Tua. Are are they definitely back, those guys, this week? Have you seen that? They've been practicing, so, I mean, we have to wait. You'll have to wait. I mean, it's it's always one of those things. But they have been practicing already, which is typically a good sign. They did practice at the end of last week, so it's like one of those, like, they're kind of close. Well, Gasecki was only projected to miss one week anyways from the, the people that I follow, like the doctors. Uh, so it, they always thought that he would just miss one game. Uh, with Parker, though, like, you know, from a fantasy perspective, like you're not going to play him because he's had this hamstring all year. Like he could be in and out of the game, you know, whatever. But this Raiders defense is just so bad. It's just so – like the, the, the Chargers were running basically all backup wide receivers last week, and they were, op- they were open by – the, the, the separation on these throws was just uncanny. Like it was like Jalen Guyton, who actually is profile. He's actually has a nice profile. He's a really good athlete. He was like six in spark score amongst wide receivers in this class, but they couldn't cover that dude at all. Uh, it was, it was just, you know, incredible that just these backups were doing work on them. If, if Keenan Allen was fully healthy in that game and Mike Williams was fully healthy in that game. I mean, the chargers might win that game completely going away. Uh, so but, I do like the dolphins, but uh, that's a short story is that I just like the dolphins. Wait, Rich, how many, how many messages did you get about, should I start Keenan Allen when he was like 
no one knew if he was going to play or not last week. I, yeah, I mean, I'm not I mean, even a fantasy guy, and I was getting like people were asking me left and right, messaging me like, should I start Allen? Should I start Guyton? What should I do? And I'm just like, don't ask me. I'm like, eh. you know, I said I said start Tyron Johnson um, either way because I thought he got the tide. Yeah, and so I'm like, even if Allen plays, like, I mean, he's not going to play a full snap, count, you know, full count. So, you know, you might get, you know, four for 40 from Tyron Johnson. At least you get something out of him. Um, so that <laughs> was kind of funny, but yeah, yeah the Raiders you always get that. <laughs> yeah. And it's, the Raiders it's tough because Keenan came out in the first drive, caught like an 18 yard right. pass and you're just like, all right, well, he, they, he suited up. Well, you figure with one, he wouldn't even been active if he wasn't healthy, like, but right. you know, chargers, uh, but, uh, then he comes out the first drive and, you know, he catches the ball and you're like, all right, well, he's okay. And then just didn't play at all except for third downs the rest of the way. It's crazy. So looking at this Raiders um, and the injury report is just unbelievable. I mean, it was really bad going into last week, especially their safety position. I mean, Eric, uh, um, uh, Jeff Heath, who's actually been playing really well. He's highly graded by PFF. He was out. Uh, Jonathan Abram, their starter was out. Who's actually been pretty bad. Um, And then, you know, Eric Harris, um, was placed on the COVID reserve list. He's the third string safety. He uh, was placed on reserve list on Monday. Who knows if he's going to play? Um, Daryl Wor- Worley, who's another corner, uh, also placed on the COVID reserve list. Uh, Henry Ruggs on the reserve list. Um, their best uh, coverage linebacker, Nicholas Morrow, um, sat out with an, uh, with an injury yesterday. Um, Nick Kwiatkowski, who was a free agent signing, he was a reserve COVID list. Like Damon Arnett, Arnett number one pick out of Ohio State, a uh, corner uh, missed last game. He he practiced limited, I think, on Tuesday. So they are, I mean, they're a bad defense to begin with. And we've talked about this. Like the to me, the biggest inefficiency in sports betting is these the injuries, the cluster injuries in kind of non-sexy positions. So we know about quarterback, we know about receiver, all that. What happens in secondaries? What happens in offensive lines where communication is a big deal? So it's one thing to lose one corner or one safety, but when you lose multiple guys and you're down to your third or fourth guy, like those guys have to communicate out there and see that that has a tendency to allow big plays and, you know, especially on third downs, like they don't know where they're going. So it's, you know, that is really huge. So I, I was big on the charge. I'm always big on the Chargers, but I was big on them last week uh, because of that situation on a short week. And you saw with the backups, they just did whatever they wanted. Herbert was converting left and right. I mean, Miami isn't that type of team, but you know, it helps a rookie quarterback when he doesn't have to really deal with that. Um, you know, no pressure and you know, doesn't have to worry about the secondary. So, I mean, it seems kind of too good to be true. Um, Miami here laying like under a field goal. Um you know, and the Raiders essentially just getting eliminated last week with that loss. Like, what is their motivation? You know, it just scares me because it's like all the public money is on Miami and this seems kind of too good to be true. But, um, you Let know, me it, ask Dan uh, a question, not to completely cut you off. Like, no, I did. Sorry about that. But, uh, uh, Dan, um, what's, what is the, you know, the, the watching, the, the, the film watching take on Tua? You know, there seems to be a public perception that, like, he's been – a kind of a bust pick because these other rookies have one played really well. Uh, and he's, you know, he's not throwing for the 300 yards. These guys are throwing for every week and making these splash plays, but has he played better than public perception, you know, kind of has deemed that he's played. Yeah, I, I would absolutely say so. And I think it's, it's part of the scheme. And I think just Miami has been really smart with it, especially, you know, even when, you know, Devontae Parker has been on the field, hasn't always been a hundred percent. You had that, this last game where he just you know wasn't on the field and I think this is something where I think that the Miami coaching staff is doing it was just a really good job of figuring out what they should be doing there they are right now just kind of putting him in a position not to lose the game and as you mentioned like the the Alex Smith Teddy Bridgewater I don't think that's the type of quarterback Tua is going to be like for his career but that's kind of the role they just put him in right now and I think that just makes a lot of sense it's a lot of smart throws um, um, it's a lot of safe throws, but he's he's still hitting a lot of tight window throws. Basically, when you're throwing to Devontae Parker, you really don't have um, another choice between a besides a tight window throw because uh, that's just the he's not getting the, the separation on his own. So he's still hitting those. Um, he's able to to you know hit some corner routes to Mike Kosicki. That's been a, a really you know, that's probably, you know, the biggest play uh, of their offense, but you look at out of those two, they don't really have another receiving threat. So they're not really able to stretch the field probably 
as much uh, as they would like to. You know, you have Lynn Bowden doing some fun things that, you know, I, but with this Miami staff, they're doing creative things. The last uh, week they had the, uh, the double reverse, pa- uh, what would have been the double reverse pass uh, to it to Malcolm Perry to Lynn Bowden. That was like, everything I wanted from that game with like no skill position players. Uh, I wish the the play had worked a little more. So I think they're, they're able to scheme around there. They know what is really, they can do against opposing defenses. And they're kind of just doing that. I think they know they have this defense that, you know, when we talk about whether they can sustain getting these turnovers and defensive touchdowns. And apparently if you're the Dolphins, you can uh, that's basically just what's been happening this year. So I think they're, they're not trying to have to uh, do too much. And I think that's kind of what they're settling in right now because, you know, they weren't expected to be in the playoffs this year. So I don't think they're trying to, they're going to push him too much to try to make a run. So I think they're settling him in, uh, allowing him to get comfortable, a lot of bootlegs and, and things like that. So uh, while he's not putting up a, a lot of, of yards, uh, he is, I think, still staying fairly efficient. And I think it's more toward building toward what this offense is going to be in, in 2021. Uh, so I, I have a, still have a lot of high expectations here. I, I absolutely, a bust is, is an insane thing to think of, of yeah. what Tua is right now. And Miami is just one of those teams that the analytics people, I mean, I respect them for the Flores and the way they, you know, they, they produce, uh, I mean, they're playing way above their heads. They shouldn't be winning these games. If you look at the, the metrics, like just all the betters bet against them every week because they just, um, they're not supposed to be covering, you know, that game against Kansas city, you're down 30 to 10. Somehow they do in a back door. They don't give up. Um, you know, last week, a lot of people were on New England. New England got to the red zone a bunch of times, not the red zone, inside the 25 a ton and just kept settling for field goals. And, you know, so they were bending, but they weren't breaking. And then Miami was just doing just enough on offense <laughs> to, to, to score and, and they end up covering that game. It's like they just do things that you can't really quantify a lot of times. And a lot of that to me is coaching and just the kind of ability to, um, you know, uh, you know, a guy like Tua will not force the ball, will not um, turn the ball over uh, in, cl- in key situations. Like those things are tough to quantify. And so I think from a kind of a quote unquote winning perspective, you know, he's kind of fitting that criteria. And obviously he did a lot of winning in Alabama. Um, so he's used to it. So I think from that perspective, Miami just, you can't really look at the metrics and the numbers necessarily and model them out to be, you know, some great team. They just kind of, they figure things out. Um, so I, I'm kind of avoiding that game because like I said, from a modeling perspective and numbers perspective, it probably is more like a pick them. Um, but from, you know, reality situation, you know, Miami's just a way better team, better coached, uh, more disciplined. They don't have any of these COVID issues, especially on defense and injury issues. Like who knows what the Raiders are going to put on that field. So, um, you know, for me, it's an avoid, but I can, uh, Rich, completely understand where you're coming from, um, uh, hammering the Dolphins here. Um, and you look at the other game, by the way, real quick, the, the 49ers Cardinals, we probably don't have to talk a lot about it. I mean, the 49ers have fallen off a cliff. I mean, they're like the worst defense in the NFL um, the last handful of uh, weeks. Like, they're really bad. A lot of people had them against Dallas, and they, they just imploded from a turnover perspective. Um, they did move the ball. I mean, they outgained Dallas um, in a lot of metric, in a lot of uh, categories, but um, just, you know, the turnover. So who knows? Maybe uh, C.J. Beathard is a welcome relief from what Nick Mullins has put, been putting out there the last couple of weeks. Give but us Josh just... Rosen. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Is it they're, they're completely, yeah, exactly. He might get some run. I mean, they're completely <laughs> ravaged it, it, on defense again. I mean, ton of guys on, you might not see Richard Sherman or Kinlaw, like they're just totally beat up. And again, I don't even know. It's a tough situation. You're playing, you don't even have a home field. You're playing in Arizona. This is like a neutral game field, which I think some people are kind of missing out on. And a lot of people are, it's like the most popular bet of the week is taking Arizona. Those guys aren't allowed to go home for Christmas. Cause yeah. the, like the California rules, it's like they're, they're Think about it. You get eliminated yeah. from the playoffs by the Cowboys, and you can't even, like, go home for the holidays like, with tough. your family. They've been on the road for a month. It's a unique situation, and we knew we'd see some of those unique situations during the season. Um, but, yeah, they're – like, the morale of that team – I mean, it's, it'll be a testament to Kyle Shannon if he gets them up for this game. But the morale right. – uh, I could just be on the outside looking in. It has to be not very high. No, not at all. Yeah, I, it's I – 
It's also one of the things where like we say players don't tank, coaches don't tank. Uh, but when you have a coach with the stability of Kyle Shanahan, who's also, you know, kind of the de facto GM or at least has, you know, the 45% role as the GM. I think when, when he's sitting there looking at what his team currently is, uh, he can either try to, you know, scheme the crap out of a CJ Beathard offense, or he could just play it safe and, uh, and have a, a nice high pick where they might be in line to take a quarterback. Uh, this year, I think I think those are the situations where I think you kind of have the head coach who uh, can be thinking ahead to the future. You know, you have some of these guys like obviously Adam Gase isn't tanking; he's just a very bad coach. But you have uh, someone like the Kyle Shanahan who has the contract; he's not going anywhere, um, so he has the future outlook of the team as his top priority. So. Um, I think that that may be a case where there, there might be uh, they that are looking ahead a little bit. Um, so let's let's maybe hit some of you know the big Sunday games. I think you know Ram Seahawks uh, going to be fun, which you know we had a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, and then a week after, I said you know the Rams are the best team in the <laughs> NFC, and then they lose to the Jets. So that was cool. That, that made was, me. I was thinking that. That by made the way. me that feel was real point. good. My, it was my first thought is like on the podcast. I think, I think I talked about Tampa and, and Seattle and then you guys went on the Rams. I was like, Oh my God. Talk about bad timing, but that happens. It happens every year. Like that was, they were not, in, you could tell they were, they didn't even game plan for that game. It was all about the Seattle game. Right. I mean, this is the, this is for the division. So like you could tell that it happens. Players do that. Um, you know, it's kind of, I mean, I didn't bet the game, so but I should have seen it coming knowing what was on deck but that's what jared goff does though every time you think oh, yeah. like figure it out he has a game like that but i will say you know i'm actually on the the rams here um plus two i think it's Same. a great bounce back spot yep. I and mean, they they kind of own seattle um the last handful of years i mean i think they've won what like uh four of the last five against um against seattle they you know, they've got five losses this year uh, the rams do obviously you know four that we can use here uh, they've won uh, all four the next week or three and one in those spots. So, and they've won each of those games by at least seven points. Okay. So they've won all four by at least seven. So they, they bounce back in a hurry. Um, so don't worry about what happened last week. Like just erase that from your memory. Um, you know, this line flipped. I think it started out Rams minus two. Now, you know, went to Rams plus two after that game. So it's just a complete kind of near term um, bias from, from the market perspective. I, I think they're the better team. They said they've owned kind of Seattle. Um, they've won five of their last six games. They lost one game to Seattle in the last, you know, couple of years. And that was on a last second field goal miss. Uh, if you remember that Thursday night game um, that Zerline missed. So, you know, they've essentially completely outplayed the team. It's a, it's a great matchup for them. I mean, look, defensively, they get pressure with you know, up the middle where, you know, we know that the Seattle's always had trouble protecting um, Russell Wilson. Um, you've got uh, Jalen Ramsey who can essentially just lock, just shut down DK Metcalf, you know, by himself. Um, and, you know, the Rams have got other corners that have played well. Their secondary in general really good. Um, so they can handle Tyler Lockett. Like, where has he been? Like, I mean, is he even on the field anymore? Um, so, like, where, where are the... he's been playing. There's a rumor that said he's been playing hurt for like the last six weeks with a knee injury. But, he, you know, it's one of those things like we never know because not he's not on the injury report. Yeah. But, like, they keep saying he's got a knee thing, but he's not on the injury report. So we don't know. It's always it's one of those things you just never know what's going right. on uh, with but them. Been, yeah. And he's been non existent. Yeah. So it's like, where do you right. go on offense if you're Seattle? And then the other side of the ball, I mean, it's just kind of interesting, you know, nugget. Like, this doesn't necessarily mean anything, but, you know, it's rare for a team. <laughs> favored like the Rams were to lose outright, right? I mean, since 2010, um, there are, there have been, uh, I think I've got 10 teams that lost as at least a 13 point favorite. Um, and yeah, two of, those, of them. <laughs> yeah. And of those teams, uh, yeah, of those 10 teams, eight of them covered the spread the following week. Um, so like, you know, it's a small sample size, but th there's at least some level of uh, history that, you know, th these teams, bounce back in a big way. Um, so don't, don't, again, just erase what happened last week that should not change any of your, anybody's perspective, I think from, um, you know, a macro kind of thinking what the Rams are, especially this week. So uh, if you do that, like, I think the Rams are the clear play here. Uh, anything you guys have seen either from a scheme or matchup perspective that really, oh, why do the Rams really dominate this matchup historically? Is there anything else that, that I'm missing here that, uh, that they do well that Seattle doesn't? 
I don't know about historically, but just as it pertains to this season, the way these teams are operating with the way Seattle's flipped their offense and being, you know, they're, they're always aggressive downfield, but that's where the Rams strength has been. I mean, they are just smothering the downfield pass. Like, it, and like, it's not even close. Like they're like points allowed on deep throws compared to the next closest team is, is the, it's like the gap, like you laid out with the lions and the, and the Panthers of being, you know, negative on defense. No, they've allowed one touchdown on a pass over 15 yards further downfield this season. That's like where Russ has been like making all his money when that, when Seattle can't hit downfield throws. And last week we saw he had what his, one of his lowest eight dots of the season, the offense just is kind of stuck in mud. Uh, that's kind of what they have, how you have to, to win this game. And that's just not what their offense like kind of thrives. And the first time these two teams played, Russ was two of nine uh, on those throws, with an interception. Obviously the interception was that intercept, uh, the, the, the play that uh, the one corner made that Dan threw in the gift where he had the guy open on the sideline and saw it late, you know, the guy peeled off and, yep. and, and intercepted it. Um, but that's where it is really. I mean, it's, they're so good at the, at, at just like shutting down vertical passing and not giving up big plays. And that's what the Seattle passing game is built on. And when you can take that away, it's really shut them down. I do think the Rams still like, I wasn't a completely under Dan where I thought they were the NFC team. I still think that they're like the biggest problem for the Packers though. Like I think if the Rams play the Packers, Packers, the Rams are a huge problem for the Packers. Yeah, I'm, I'm still on that too. I'm, I'm still digging my heels uh, into the say. I, I still think they are probably the best team in the NFC. I'm, I lost to the Jets, uh, notwithstanding. So, uh, but yeah, so kind of like you said, the Rams are this team, especially on, on defense. They're just kind of what I said last week. They're just, they're a team that kind of built their defense, thinking about stopping a Rams type of offense and they can do that right now. They're, they're sitting back with two safeties. They're white, white box pretty much all the time, just inviting teams to run. Um, and they're okay. Go ahead. Run for 40 yards to carry for us. We don't care. You still have to run through Aaron Donald, uh, which, you know, it, it's an extra man in the box right there on his own. Um, and then when you have a guy like Jalen Ramsey who can play all, all around the field, and then when he is able to and needs to, sits on the outside for a guy like DK Metcalf. And as it goes up against Seattle, there was a lot of talk about whether, you know, just playing too high against Russell Wilson stops him from throwing deep. The numbers, when I looked at it, uh, I think about two weeks ago, uh, his numbers aren't completely different, but DK Metcalf's numbers are completely shut down when defenses are playing too deep uh, against them. So usually when there's a corner playing man and then there's another corner or safety over the top that can shut down and double a DK Metcalf, that's where his numbers get shut down all pretty much all of his production has come off of single high safeties this year. So uh, when the Rams can play too deep and have Jalen Ramsey on him, that, that just kind of completely takes away the element of the Seattle offense that has really worked uh, this year. So that's definitely why this year uh, it worked and why it worked so well in the last game and kind of why I see it working pretty well uh, going into this game too. Um, so uh, should we uh, hit Titans and Packers real quick? Sure. This game's going to be a lot, a lot of points. Um, What's the weather looking a... like early in that game? Has anyone checked it out? I saw yeah. Warren kind of tweet that it was going to be cold. So what are we well, looking at? So, so you know, because initially I liked the over and I thought, okay, the weather. And I looked yesterday. It's supposed to be like 30s and okay. cloudy. So no precipitation. Not terribly cold and the wind is like eight to 10 miles, but there's gusts to like 20, but it's just gusts, right? Like that's not Mm -hmm. consistent. I'm not really worried about it from a total perspective. That's why I hit the over yesterday and I put, you know, I talked about it in, in the preview, but you know, just in general, I think, you know, these are just the two over teams in general, but the Titans have been an over machine. I mean, three, they've only gone under uh, three of their 14 games this year. And the only games that went under were against the worst offenses in the NFL in Denver, Jacksonville, Chicago, literally like the three worst offenses. So, you know, you go up against the Titans or you go up against a Green Bay offense that we know can score. And I think there's plenty of points. I mean, you've got a pass rush that's non-existent um, from the Titans, 31st in the NFL. we got Aaron Rodgers, number one with a clean pocket. Like that's just obvious. The 30th ranked pass defense. I think the, the, Green Bay side, they're going to move the ball at will, um, throwing the ball. And then we know that Tennessee, you know, can kind of move it on anyone. And the Packers are 21st in DVOA run defense. I mean, they've only faced two top 18 rush offenses when you look at EPA per play, and that's Minnesota and Tampa. Um, And they're not even in the top 12. So they haven't even faced, you know, a, a a run offense like 
like Derrick Henry and, and this team. And, you know, even in those three games against Minnesota and Tampa, and we know Minnesota is a good run offense. It's kind of surprising that they're not ranked higher, but um, and with Tampa's kind of surprising. But in those three games against Dalvin Cook and Ronald Jones, I mean, they ran for 328 yards on 65 carries, so over five yards per carry and seven touchdowns in those three games. Um, so I have no qualms that the big dog's going to be able to eat against this defense. And we know that Ryan Tannehill you know, is underrated and he's got success um, through the air against pretty much anybody. I, I mean, the Packers are 23rd in pressure rate too. So like, there's a lot of reasons to like this over. The only way I think this, you know, stays under is if, you know, Tennessee just decides we're just going to, you know, run the ball on every first down early in the game and, you know, and then kind of see what happens. And, and Green Bay just loads up the box like the Browns did a couple of weeks ago. You know, I don't know, like, if you necessarily have to do that. Um, you should be able to mix mix up the run and pass here a little bit early on because you don't want to, to dig yourself into a big hole like you did against the Browns. If you just force feed the run and, you know, somehow they get turnovers or some stops. And the other side, if, if Aaron Rodgers is just slinging it down the field and you just you look up and you're down, you know, 14 nothing you have to change your game plan. So hopefully, you know, they kind of learn their lesson and they come out, you know, mixing the, the throw a little bit more with the run early. So they don't fall in that deep hole, but I, I love the over here. Um, you guys see anything that, that, you know, sways the other way. <laughs> the, besides no, I mean, the weather? It looks like a, it looks like a point bananas on paper. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you've what the top two teams in points per drive or top, you know, Green Bay's first in points to drive, Tennessee's third. They're first and second in points for play. They're the two best teams in the red zone. Uh, it, yeah. it, it, everything signals, and and neither team can rush the passer. And they so don't just, turn the ball over. And neither, and neither team, really team turns, turns it over. over. And no, yeah. it's yeah. I mean, it, it all it lines up on a j- objective stance. It looks like it all lines <laughs> up. Uh, it's tough to find poke a hole in it. I was excited too, not for an injury. Uh, you know, you never like to see players get injured, but the Packers were forced to play Aaron Jones last week. The, you know, the one thing with Aaron Jones is like they, he doesn't play like a full-time running back. They always play Jamal Williams. He plays in the two-minute offense. He plays in the four-minute offense. It's very frustrating because Aaron Jones is actually a good pass catcher too. But, uh, you know, Jamal Williams is forced out of that game last week, just four snaps, and they have to play Aaron Jones. And, oh, yeah, Aaron Jones is really good. Uh, you know, so it's, you know, it's obviously a good spot to see him try to get a bigger workload too. Jamal Williams isn't practiced yet this week. We'll keep an ear, ear on that. They don't play till late Sunday night, so he can come in. Uh, I know Dan just wrote an article on Corey Davis. Uh, listen, my, my, my big Corey Davis thing was always when he come out, he was just miscast in the NFL. Um, he was in a weak draft class and he was thought of as an alpha. He was overdrafted in a sense of just the circumstances. Um, but one of the most decorated, you know, production profiles that he, of a collegiate player, I always thought he just profiled to be a one B and you put him next to an alpha and he was going to thrive. And that's what's happened. Uh, you know, these past, you know, year and a half with AJ Brown descending um, it's just really opened up and he's been really great in these spots. Uh, so against like teams uh, that are really good against opposing wide receiver ones, like the Packers are, you know, obviously with Jair Alexander and he doesn't always shadow, he moves around, but teams that are, um, are good against opposing wide receiver ones, Corey Davis has had his best games. He's been all of his three games with double digit targets have come against those opponents. Uh, uh, three of his four touchdowns uh, have come in those games, three of his five. Uh, so, I mean, and his target share goes up to 26% in those games where they face a, a team that's good against opposing wide receiver one. So it could be a Corey Davis game right on the heels of Dan, you know, kind of writing about Corey Davis. Yeah. I mean, the, the weird thing about Corey Davis, which uh, when I looked into it and I actually didn't write about, I thought about this maybe, you know, two weeks ago uh, and kind of looked at some of the underlying metrics and I was like, nothing is different. Like, why, why is this happening? Cause he has the, the same a dot. He has a, basically the same yards after the catch per reception. Um, you know, teams aren't playing him any different. He's still in the same role, just off the line. So teams are giving him a lot of cushion. He has the exact same, you know, average cushion, uh, off the line per next gen stats. Uh, he's not you know, getting more open or he's not even you know more open on targets uh, per next gen stats. So I was like, what is going on? And most of it is just, you know, they're hitting deep balls better and they're scheming him up for deep balls better. And that's really been uh, the case here. He was 0 for 10 on targets last year of uh, on targets over 20 air yards. Um, so just no deep completions. This year he has... And none of them were on target. So it was kind of a a Ryan Tannehill issue. And nine of those 10 targets came from Ryan Tannehill. And Tannehill was really one of the least accurate deep throwers in the league last year, but he killed in the intermediate 
Uh, and that's kind of how the Titans were able to, to move the ball. And then this year, seven of uh, Corey Davis's um, 10 target deep targets have been on target. Uh, and he's got six receptions for 255 yards. And that makes up like 75% of the yardage difference between Corey Davis in 2020 and Corey Davis in 2019. So just being able to scheme up those uh, deep shots. And last year, the deep shots were, they were kind of, you know, out of structure, uh, forcing passes on third down and things like that. But they're, they're in the rhythm of the offense this year. So that's been helping a lot. But also last year, Corey Davis was one of the most efficient uh, receivers in the short and intermediate area. And that just kind of got overlooked because there were no really big plays. And all those big plays were going to A.J. Brown. Uh, and anything Corey Davis did have to be, had to be like a run after the catch on any of these short or intermediate throws. So he was still a top five in positive play rate on short and intermediate last year and he's still there this year and now he has those deep passes on top of it so that's kind of why the Corey Davis breakout uh is here and I think that's definitely a good thing to look at against Green Bay where they don't have that other corner if Jair Alexander is probably going to be on AJ Brown and then like you said they they don't have anything else uh the interesting thing is also with Derrick Henry uh, I wrote a couple weeks ago about how I kind of have this like galaxy brain take that if you're going to defend Derrick Henry, it might be better to do it like in nickel or dime and just have waves of guys going at him instead of trying to <laughs> stack the box. Because when you stack the box against Derrick Henry and he breaks one tackle, he's gone. And so many teams are trying to do that. Uh, but if you're, you know, that's playing, old Adrian Peterson. Right. Thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but if, but if you're playing light and you kind of have waves of guys who are going at him, he's not going to break nine tackles a run. Maybe. So I, I think you, <laughs> he might, but he, I think it's better than just breaking one tackle and having no, uh, you know, secondary defense after that's all of, Derrick Henry's long runs of what we see. They stack the box. He breaks through one guy and there's no one there to stop him. And he's fast enough to break that away. The Packers kind of do that. The problem is they just, they can't tackle and they're bad at run defense. So they have the right idea, um, but they're just, they're not very good at it. So it's kind of putting my theory to the test, but the Packers, the actual players, the Packers have are not the guys I I would want seeing uh, doing that. So um no, we'll see how that goes. And, you know, Tennessee can't stop deep pass. And we've talked about this a whole bunch, you know, Green Bay is throwing deep uh, more than any other team in the league, except Denver, but you know, Denver is, has Drew Locke. Um, so uh, when you're, and you have Aaron Rodgers, it's a little different. And, and Tennessee just they can't cover. Even with the Dory Jackson back, um, that makes somewhat of a difference, but not really. Uh, Desmond King also hasn't had a huge difference. There's just so many holes, uh, especially without being able to create pressure. And that's, that's where the Titans were really able to do it. Uh, last year, they were able to scheme up some pressure or pressure looks or even the illusion of pressure. And that's just not there uh, in this defense this year. So that, that's really had them taking a step back. And that's kind of why the offense has had to be so uh, efficient this year because, and they've had to throw a little more and throw deeper. It's, an, it's a good thing. Ryan Tannehill is a much better deep thrower this year because I don't think they would have been able to get away with what they did last year on offense uh, if the defense this year was, was as bad as it was. So, but uh, as everybody said, they're expecting a, a lot of points. Um, in this game one thing you can guarantee is that at least one time Robert Tanyan's gonna be wide open with nobody within 20 yards of him yeah I mean that's <laughs> that's the amazing thing here they the, I mean the Packers have just it schemed <laughs> everything up so well it's something I've been uh, really just impressed by the, all year and Aaron Rodgers has bought in it's like it's taking that Shanahan system and the McVay system and adding a whole bunch of, of deep shots to it and having Aaron Rodgers run it instead of Jimmy Garoppolo or uh, Jared Goff. And that's just, like, I mean, there's a lot of talk about whether you can like QB proof an offense by having that type of system. And yeah, you can. And then when you have Aaron Rodgers buying in on top of it, and I think, you know, last year was definitely this year where he was, you know, there was a feeling out process last year and it wasn't always clicking, but I think even, and with the offseason, even though they weren't you know, allowed to practice, it was a weird offseason. There was just a, a year in the system able to uh, buy in. Aaron Rodgers right now is, 
you know, he's had a couple bad games, but the games where he is on, he like, he looks like prime Aaron Rodgers after he, he hadn't looked like that for, for a couple of years. Um, so, and yeah, Robert Tanyan, um, not sure how he didn't make the pro bowl as like one of the few Evan Ingram defenders left on the planet. Um, there's no way Evan Ingram should have been in the pro bowl over, uh, over Robert Tanyan, uh, at, at least this year. Um, you know, long-term, I'm probably still taking Evan Ingram, but if the 2020 Pro Bowl, uh, there's uh, no way that should have happened. So uh, I'm not really, I mean, the Pro Bowl is, is dumb and uh, uh, the voting is completely broken, even though like the fan voting is only a third of it. But I think we've seen with like the NFL top 100s when, uh, when players are involved in, in voting, that kind of goes worse than when uh when fans are so uh, we have to do something about uh, pro bowl voting especially when it's tied to like contracts and things um and when it's a- as dumb as it is but that, that's a completely a different podcast so let's uh, end this here by giving uh a update on the detroit lions interim head coach daryl bevel defensive coordinator Corey undland defensive line coach bo davis defensive backs coach steve gregory and linebackers coach ty mckenzie will not coach against Tampa Bay so that is uh the head coach and like every important piece of the uh, defensive coaching staff so um yeah if if the Buccaneers now can't score uh I think we uh there's uh, a lot of issues there I think so um so that's that's an update on uh what we talked about uh, earlier in the podcast so uh, I think we're going to end it here I hope you guys have a very safe uh and happy holiday we will be back uh next week to talk uh weird week 17 uh you know who knows what week 17 is always just like it's it's either it matters a lot or it doesn't matter at all so we have like the playoffs and the preseason in one week and I think that's that always kind of makes week 17 kind of fun. So uh, we will be back to, uh, to preview that. Remember, you follow Rich on Twitter at Lord Reeves. You can read his worksheet and all of the other fantasy uh, analysis he's been putting up uh, on the site. And like you said at the top, it's going to be free throughout the playoffs. So uh, you're definitely going to want to uh, check that out. You can follow TA on Twitter at Cleve TA. You can find his betting preview for week 16 is now up on Sharp Football Analysis. You can find me at, on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. I'd like to thank you guys for listening and we will talk to you again soon. I'm not going to be able to do that.